Because your cross is powerful Because you rose invincible I can get up off the floor Congratulate all those people. It's a great way to start today's message. Uh, you, can you beat that? All those people declaring allegiance to Jesus Christ through baptism as a result of our church's ministry. I, I love it. It never gets better than that. That never gets old. So welcome again to First Christian Church. To those of you here in the West and those in the East, we're very glad you're joining us and that we're one congregation together. For guests, let me introduce myself. My name is Wayne. And it's my privilege to be part of the uh, pastoral team together uh, with a lot of other people around here. And uh, I get to spend some time with you today. In, in a, and guests, I need to say this, that uh, today's going to be a little bit different. And um, here's what's going to happen today. I want you to um, imagine if you were to join with a family as they were sitting around a table and they're discussing all the... Th it's, it's late December, early January... They're discussing all that's happened in the year past and what have they got planned and scheduled for the coming year. And you're going to hear all sorts of different stories and the things that happened. You'd, there might be a calendar in the center of the table that people are mapping out what's going on. Or somebody's got it on their cell phone and they're saying, okay, what, what date? We, what is that vacation coming again? And all that stuff. And, and they'd be, okay, where are we going for Thanksgiving? And whatever we do, whatever we do for Thanksgiving, when we tell Aunt 
so-and-so. We have to give her a time that's 30 minutes sooner than everybody else because she always shows up late and we're halfway through dinner and there's, let's do that. And there'd be all kinds of those discussions. There'd be probably a little bit of look of, okay, what are we going to do about that vacation? How are we going to afford that? And, and so, so um, you would learn a lot about the family if you sat at that table at that moment. And that's what you've stumbled into today. You're going to learn about our hopes and dreams and some, how are we going to afford that sort of stuff? And What's happened this weekend is the family of First Christian Church has gathered to chat. We're reviewing the events, some of them of 2017, and what's planned for 2018. And if you will, we're pulling the curtain back a bit. And consequently, this time today is a little bit different. Normally, we would have the liberty of an exhaustive exegetical review of a biblical passage and then a sermon based on that particular scripture. But today, we're coming at this with a different understanding. Here's my pre-understanding of what I'm about to bring to you today, that for most of us here today, most of us follow Jesus Christ, and you're interested to know how the Holy Spirit is working through the life of First Christian Church. And... um, if you, that doesn't fit your profile, we'd like to fix that, or we'd, that's maybe not the right language, we'd like to help you with that uh, before the morning is over. If you don't know Jesus Christ, can we help you with that before the day is over? By all means, come and visit with one of the staff members, and we'll see what we can do to get you started in a relationship with Jesus Christ. But for the rest of us, I want to bring up the speed with what happened in our ministry in 2017, some of those things, and what's coming in the coming year. So I want to start by saying that throughout the year, all kinds of letters and thank you notes come to the church for the things we do around the community or around the world. And uh, this one just arrived a few days ago. It's from the teachers at Parsons School. You can tell they're teachers, right? I mean, I'd be lucky. I'm like a little note like this. They do that and, and they do this. Isn't that cool? This is some of the things they've said. Uh, your gifts are generous, but your thoughts, prayers, and care and care are most appreciated. Thank you for all you do for Parsons staff and students. We appreciate all your love and support. Or you all are so fabulous. I appreciate everything you do for us. We're so lucky and blessed to have you in our building. So we're going to, this is the kind of stuff that we work towards. And I wish you could see all the letters that come to, on my desk, on your behalf. And um, that note, if you will, is is my understanding of how our church is impacting the community and, in fact, the world. Speaking of our community, uh, many of you know that a number of years ago now, we began a ministry um, in the neighborhood we affectionately call The Block. It's, we have people from The Block now who attend our church, and I think as part of the GM Square, uh, there are some... It was a place that was, it's, it's a more difficult setting in, in the city in some ways, and what we did was we... Um, a number of years ago, we bought a house. We paid $12,000 for the house. It was in der- very difficult shape. And over a period of months, we, with volunteers, we renovated the, the house, and Pastor BJ and his family moved in uh, so that we'd have a base of ministry there to speak to the lives, specifically to those people in that neighborhood. And uh, people have noticed, as I said, people from the neighborhoods now attend the church, and even people outside the neighborhood and outside the church uh, notice what's going on to the point where um, this past year, um, we were approached by a group and said, we want to give you a grant. And uh, (laughs) what do you mean? We're talking a couple hundred dollars. No, we're talking about tens of thousands of dollars. I mean, was it $58,000? I think it was 58,000 in that neighborhood, anyways. And they said, What would you do? This well, we'd build a basketball court, we'd put up a garage, we'd make a pavilion, and all that is there in the neighborhood there now. Uh, it's interesting that people from outside the life of the church 
are recognizing what's come, what we're doing, and they say, can we add to yours? You know, it's a different line of income, if you will, to the church, but uh, it's just really cool to see that happening. And of course, when it comes to income, most of it comes from the folk in the pews and in the seats today, and I want to thank you for that. And so, in an effort to be transparent, an effort to be accountable, here's what we did with your money in 2017. You gave, as a congregation, some $2.8 million into the life of our church, and I want to thank you for your generosity. All our bills were paid and paid on time, and um, in that $2.8 million, uh, we have something we call the general fund. There are different funds, but the general fund is responsible for the day-to-day operations of the, of the church and the building and staff and the light bill and keeping the parking lot plowed in the winter. And so um, we ended the year in the general fund uh, in a surprisingly strong position, stronger than we've ever done so, and that is we ended the year in the black, which we always end the year in the black, but to the tune of some $200,000. It was... I just want to say thank you for your giving in that regard, okay? Now, I want you to note, as part of who we are as a congregation, we have a mortgage balance that's a little over $2 million, and um, pay attention to my language and see if you can read between the lines. We're going to work on that in the coming year. What does that mean? Did you hear that, family? We're going to work on that in the coming year. A goal for 2018 is to reduce our debt, okay? So uh, you'll be hearing about that come May or so, all right? You you can write that in your calendar, right? Capital campaign, Maine, you can say, I can hardly wait. But you have to wait. We're not going to let you get there too soon, all right? So basically, your generosity is making a difference in, with us in this building, if you will, but also outside the building. For, for example, think about what's taking place in our global missions endeavors. These are the people that we send overseas and the missionaries we have overseas. In the past eight years, 70 different people have traveled to Kenya in nine different mission trips. And some of those people have gone multiple times. 61 different people have traveled to Cuba in five different mission teams. And um, we've got another 12 scheduled to go to Kenya in March, and then a slew of people scheduled to go to Cuba this summer. And in total, if you add up all those mission trips, like one, one trip and then a second trip and a third trip, people have traveled 189,000 miles um, with another 36 to go this year, 36,000. What's really cool, two things I'll tell you, is that our giving to our mission endeavors overseas has gone past $684,000 in the last few years. And that doesn't, that, that, that's to support our missionaries and the work we're doing there. That doesn't include the trips, okay? So when we say we've sent you know, 70 people to Kenya and 61 to Cuba, that's 131 people. The cost of getting them there is borne by the people who go. So when we say we've raised $684,000, that's to do the work there, and, and everyone else pays their own way. So I want to congratulate you for that. And um, what's really cool is in Kenya, for example, when we send the medical teams over there, they go off, they're off the, the paved road, is how it's said in Kenya. They're off the paved road, out in the bush by hours. You're, you're bouncing along, and, and people walk for days, literally three, four, five days, knowing that we're coming. And in the last uh, few years, our medical teams have treated 26,000 patients, uh, 2,600, pardon me, <laughs> 2,600 patients in remote areas of Maasai land. It's remarkable. These are people who do not see a doctor at all, and yet we were able to be there. Of course, our mission endeavors, <coughs> excuse me, when it comes to uh, medical work and so forth, include more than what we do overseas. We're thoroughly invested in our community through our chaplaincy program. Uh, we are responsible as a congregation, First Christian Church is responsible. We, 
when, when DMH, Decay Memorial Hospital, says we want chaplains, we do it. Other congregations may send chaplains to, their, to the hospital to take care of their specific people from their congregations, but as a congregation, First Christian Church is responsible for all of DMH patients and all of DMH staff and all of Crossing Healthcare and Crossing uh, Healthcare staff. And to that end, catch this, with 16 chaplains working, some of them paid, some volunteer, we, had, we met with 22,000 patients this past year. That's remarkable. Can you think about this? That's 60 people a day who are meeting with somebody from First Christian Church day, round the clock. We're, meet, we're doing this round the clock, 24-7. They're meeting with people from First Christian Church, some volunteers, some staff. And uh, I, I want you to remind, be mindful of this, that as we're doing that, we're on the cutting edge of what's taking place in our community. Maybe you're aware of the opioid crisis that's barreling across the country and affecting so many lives. Well, we've got people on your behalf working in the opioid center. Here's a note I got from one of the chaplains just a couple days ago. God is opening new doors through the opioid center, which is now fully functioning and taking walk-ins. I was there yesterday. I was surprised at the welcome and openness of the patients to me and the appreciation of the staff. I was thrilled with the hope they gleaned from being encouraged with the word of God. I feel this is a calling for me, and I'm so excited to allow God to work through me during this horrific, and then there's a, a bracket, and that word really isn't too strong for what these men and women are going through. Horrific. So saying, I'm so excited to allow God to work through me during this horrific time in these patients' lives. The shame they carry is, is such a stronghold, only God can give a breakthrough. And of course, I, I just want to say, praise the Lord that for, through His grace, we were given a, a venue and an opportunity to be there. So I, I know that's a very heavy, drama-laden place of ministry, as is the hospital, but... Um, I'm thankful that God called us to do that. And if you're looking for a place that's maybe a little bit less drama-like, where a little bit more joy, all you have to do is walk across the street to Parsons Elementary School. We've been over there now for more than a decade. This is crazy, but the school district said, can you come help us? And we said, sure. And so we have people, we have staff members and volunteers in the, on a daily basis at the school. And then, of course, the kids come over here in the afternoons. And, and, uh, but if we all showed up there, that wouldn't be good. We'd kind of overwhelm the school. So we, but we all showed up at Christmas. Do you remember what we did at Christmas? We said, we've done this for a number of years now. Can we give a Christmas gift to all the kids and, and the teachers who are there? And so here, I want you, um, here's what we did. Watch, watch the video that's coming your way. Uh, we, we, we put profiles together of the students and, and eventually the teachers as well and asked you, would you go buy gifts for this profile? And then you started bringing them in little shoe boxes or little you know, plastic boxes. And then we had to sort it all and figure out, okay, make sure everything was kind of even and it worked all right. And then we wrapped it all. And we're talking more than 300 boxes, okay? 300 gifts for kids. Then it all got carted over there on wheels and, and listen to what happened when we got in the classroom. Wouldn't you like, I, I just the joy is so, so palpable. And then we get, give them all t-shirts. And uh, so if you're walking around town, you see a red t-shirt there, you know what you're going to see? Parsons School. And then you're going to see around the outside, First Christian Church. Think about this. We are circling the work and the stuff that's going on over there. And so I, 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 um, 
I want to thank you for your generosity regarding the school over there and, um, and the other ways in which God's used us in the community. And so I, I'll say this. I've struggled in recent weeks to know exactly what to tell you. I mean, uh, how could we highlight just a particular few ministries and, and would, I, with no time left to point out some other excellent things that are going on like in our arts academy or in-house ministries with babies and children's and teens, the small groups, the worship department, the tech department, and so on. Because I'm concerned that in, as I bring this to you today and you've seen a lot of figures and you've seen money and dollar signs and everything, it's not about the money, it's about all of us. As a matter of fact, one of our goals or our mission is to be devoted followers of Jesus through growing, looking at scripture, and through serving together, that you can't grow unless you serve. And so we have in the community 1,100 different places where people are volunteering. Catch that. 1,100 places of ministry that are covered by 700 different people across our congregation. And so all of it is funded by you. All of it is staffed by you. And so I just want to thank you for having generous hearts. Thank you for your vision and ministry and for um, just your willingness to step into Christian work. And so my beloved friends, thank you. And um, it seemed appropriate that the best way that we could do that would be rather than pat each other on the back, because that's not necessary, but just simply to say thank you to each other. So would you do that today, to thank each other? And so some of you going, that's great, Wayne, enough of that. Okay, that's 2017. That's old hat. What's coming in 2018? Well, since you asked that, I'm so glad you did, all right? And um, I, I want to tell you what's coming in 2018, but as I do so, I think... I, um, just a couple of concerns before I tell you all that's coming in terms of programs, okay? Because uh, I think we have, to, we have to be honest and transparent with one another and um, be willing to state things as they really are. So two concerns that I think impact our congregation. First of all, the overall profile of our community is of concern to me. We're very blessed here at First Christian that we've grown significantly in the last couple of decades. Um, Years gone by, if we had 200 in worship, that was a good deal. That was a good weekend. And now, I mean, we're far surpassed that. I mean, we, we have, we see more than 2,000 people at least once every month. So, I mean, we have, we're a significantly larger church, okay? And we've grown even as the population around us has declined. We've bucked the trend, if you will. But the trend in the community and in the state is continuing. I think we all have to acknowledge that Illinois is in a pretty rough point, a rough status at present. On Wednesday, this week as I was preparing for direct line, a report came across my desk. It's the results of the 2017 National Movers Study. What's the National Movers Study? It's a study that tracks state-to-state -state migration patterns. In other words, who's moving where? And of all the states that have a declining population, guess where we are? We're number one. We're number one at something. That's really good for Illinois to be number one at something, but unfortunately, it's the wrong thing to be good at. In 2017, more residents moved out of Illinois than any other state in the union. 63% of the moves were people moving away from Illinois. And that has implications, not only for the state, but also for Decatur, and implications for our congregation. It's fair to say that we have our work cut out for us. We can't assume that, if you will, that people are simply gonna show up here. 
We can't assume that once they get here, either to Decatur or to our church, that they're going to stay. As a matter of fact, long story short, Leslie and I have to be in Arizona on behalf of the church in February for a project out there. And it occurred to me, hey, we've, we've lost so many families to Arizona in the last 18 months. We should do something. And so you know what? We, we reached out to them, and they want to have a church service while we're out. We're going to have a get-together. We're going to do First Christian Church Tucson while we're out there. There are so many people from First Christian that are out there. And, and that, from what I could see in our community, those sort of things may continue to occur. And so we have to be mindful of that about the profile of our community, and we're going to have to work hard, and we have to pray hard to continue to buck the trends of our community's growth. That's my first concern. The second one is this, straight up, and that's burnout within the congregation. Why do I say that? Because we're a very hard-working congregation. We work hard to change and to reach into the lives of this community. We've changed a lot in the last 25 years. We've built, we've cared, we've ministered, and as a result, God has graciously brought us growth, and you see 50 people just, you know, getting baptized last year and declaring allegiance to Jesus Christ. I mean, it's, it's all good, and we thought that much of that was going to be seen in a new auditorium that was slated for 2018. The plan had been that we would break ground Christmas 2017 and have our first weekend in, and pardon me, not Christmas, but Easter of 2017 and be in um, in Easter of 2018. But the truth is, as we looked at the dollars and the cost, and it just wasn't wise. Um, and so, as a result, what I thought was going to be a temporary solution to the crowding problems we have in this building um, is now probably semi-permanent, at least for a number of years yet, because we end up with two auditoriums. And it was only going to be temporary. But since that doesn't seem to be the case, that means people have to choose where to worship. It means our worship teams, our tech teams, our hospitality teams. Untold numbers of people have to double up in ministry commitments. And I'm concerned, friends. Beloved, I'm concerned about the long-term sustainability of that arrangement. Will we flame out? You can help. You could choose to, choose to serve on one of those teams. You could choose to say, hey, I'll be part of a worship team or a tech team or a hospitality team. I'll join the choir. I'll do something to, to, to keep this moving along at the right, the right pace. The people uh, in the East, those of you who worship in the East, I would suggest you need to visit the West from time to time. And those of us who, those who worship in the West, I really want to encourage you, go visit the East from time to time because here's what we are. We are one church... We are one church regardless of where or when we are worship, right? But we are one church meeting in five different worship services in two different locations, two different auditoriums. And that has the potential for some chaos, if you think about it, right? So it's going to require for us to continue to be people of grace and care. We have to be sensitive with one another. And it's, it, we have to have an ongoing attitude of, we have to say, I, I'm going to be open to change and to working this out. I mean, that's probably why in God's wisdom back in the early 2000s, I think 2002, as we evaluated who we were, we came up with four core values. And one of those is that we as a congregation embrace change. We say, in order to grow and to reach into this community, we're going to have to shift and move and we embrace change. So I just want to remind you of that. And I want you to stand and remind each other right now. So here's how we're going to, in both auditoriums. We've done this before, so you should know. Come on, everybody stand up. Here's the plan. Plus, you need, you need, you need to get a little exercise going, right? 
So here's the plan. Here's how we say, do you know how we say we embrace change around here? We go like this and you say, we embrace change, all right? Okay, so let's try this. Everybody, you have to spread out. If you have to, go across the aisles or whatever, okay? You ready? Here we go. What do we do? We embrace change. Some of you are not so convinced. One more time, all right? <laughs> what do we do? We embrace change. All right, you may be seated, friends. All right. We embrace change. Why? Because we want everybody that we know to become a devoted follower of Jesus Christ by growing and serving together. So... That means we don't get to keep the status quo. We, so how are we going to change in 2018? Some ministry endeavors, if you will. Well, first of all, we are going to continue on with our, our understanding that God's called us to reach 10% of the community. We call it 10. Um, it's, not, it's been our goal now for three years. We don't assume that 10% of the community is going to come to our congregation. That's never been the goal. But more so... We recognize there are many great churches in the community, and could we help them, if you will, have a similar story to what ours is, which is, while the population is doing this, we were doing this. Could we, could we help them duplicate that? So we, we, we said we're going to do 10, 10%, and one of the ways in which that was demonstrated is over the last three years, we've done these programs like Tell Me More, which we did last fall, where we helped churches. As a matter of fact, to, the, to date, we've got 35 different churches doing doing part of 10 now. Is that remarkable? That's really cool. That was what came from us, not from the Lord. And it's not for top down on our part of it. Can we come alongside them? And so I want you to look for another Tell Me More series and another Tell Me More event in 2018. And that ministry with us in our, from our own seats, if you will, and from the pews and chairs of those congregations, that ministry assumes there are people that all of us know you know people who don't know Jesus. They're not in a relationship with the creator of the cosmos. They have no knowledge of grace. They have no knowledge of how God wants us all to be whole and to be forgiven. And it seems to me, as I look around, there are more and more people in that position that do not know about the graceful work of God that's available in Jesus Christ. Some of them are misguided about morality, about life choices, about right and wrong, about... They certainly don't know anything about, if or know little about grace and healing and wholeness and forgiveness. And so it's seen in a variety of places. Um, it's why we're at the hospital. It's why we're in the block. It's why we're at the school. I mean, we want people to know that Jesus Christ really can change their lives. It's also seen, it seems to me, in the way in which people pro approach their sexuality. And so, to that end, um, after lots of prayer and consideration, uh, in 2018, we're going to step into a ministry that will help us form a credible and caring response to the sexual identity debates of our culture. And uh, so you go, what? Well, perhaps I should sit down again and be, be, be the pastor for just a minute, okay? Here's what I'm saying. As a congregation, we're looking for new ways to approach ministry in the LGBT community. Now, listen really carefully, okay? Because this could go really bad if you don't listen well, okay? We are committed to a full biblical understanding of sexuality and marriage. That's very plain and clear to us. The Bible is quite plain about right and wrong. It speaks clearly about sexual life choices. I have to say, there, there are days when I'd like to bury my head in the sand about all this, you know? 
Aren't there days when you could just hope you could say, oh, let's just not talk about this and maybe it'll all go away, right? And uh, the discussion about sexuality in the larger culture, if we just don't talk about it, maybe they won't notice, we won't notice, and it will all go back to the setting like it was 40, 60 years ago. Well, I've got to tell you, friends, that's not the case. The culture wars regarding sexuality were lost by the church, capital C, decades ago. And we have to ask, how are we going to respond? Because our viewpoints these days are in the minority. All right? Now, for several months now, we've been doing some research and study into what we might be able to say. The full leadership group of the church, that's the, the oldest team, the staff team, the, the administrative team, we've been working on this. In fact, when it comes to the concerns about human sexuality, this congregation took some stands that some of you don't know about. I mean, years ago, back in 1985. So this has been part of the history of our congregation. This is not new to us, per se, but how we're going to approach it in 2018 is different. And so we've asked um, Mitchell Yarks, one of our staff members, to take a lead on this area of ministry. Here's how it went down. Um, last May... I invited, Mitchell's office was upstairs, and I invited him, hey, Mitchell, will you come down into my office, please? He comes down, and I said, Mitchell, I'm about to blow up your world. I'm asking you to consider being relieved of your duties effectively within the next few weeks. And we're gonna ask you to shift everything you do to one thing. I want you, we want you, on behalf of the elders particularly, we want you to, almost become a scholar in residence for a period of time and take 12 to 18 months on one big project with one intense focus. We want you to study and research and find ways that our congregation can speak to the issues of sexuality within the larger culture. Here's what it is. Here was his responsibility. Help our congregation find ways to uphold biblical values and mores all while reaching into the lives of people in the LGBT community to hold this tension. And... Um, what drives that? Well, we have friends, we have family members, we have some within our congregation who face all sorts of questions and challenges in the area of sexuality. And he has some experience working in the LGBT community from when he was in college. Both he and his wife have had um, experience in that area. And we saw that his experience was a needed attribute as we began this endeavor. And so for the last eight months now, very quietly, we didn't want to bring it to you yet because frankly, we didn't want to get the cart in front of the horse or anything like that. He has been quietly leading um, a ministry to develop a profile for our church before we were to make any public announcements. And uh, we're going public today. And um, here's why. The LGBT community is a community in need of care and love and biblical direction. All right? And we are cautiously and prayerfully moving into this ministry area Aware of some of the implications, yes, I, but probably we're naive and don't understand all the implications. However, if we're, we are a leading church in the community, we cannot remain on the sidelines. And as, what's interesting, as Mitchell has talked and studied and, and visited people, we've sent him on trips around the country and everything. Another organization called Lead Them Home, based out of Boston, has asked Mitchell and consequently our church to become certified with their curriculum in which they train church leaders all across the United States and how can churches reach into the lives of LGBT people. And I, I gotta tell you, friends, I, I want you to be really careful with this. This is gonna require, if I may, some very sensitive prayer on your part 
It's going to require listening very carefully to what we're saying, and it's going to require some really wise and mature tongues in the community. Um, we're not changing our views on sexuality and marriage. The Bible is clear. So here's the question. Are we changing our understanding of what the Bible has to say about sexuality? And the answer is, let me say it one time. Ask the question again. Are we changing our views on what the Bible has to say about marriage and sexuality? No. no. But what we are saying is that we must, as followers of Jesus Christ, become engaged in conversations and ministry with those in the LGB community, LGBT community. We, we've got to find, can we visit with you? Can we speak with you? Can we hear from you as we graciously lift up biblical values? Because if there was another community in the culture that was, well, how can I say any other community in the culture would say, can we come beside you? Can we come along? Can we put our arms around you? Can we care? Your life setting warrants care, direction, and love. Why would we dare, how would we dare as followers of Jesus Christ say that to the people in the LGBT community? So again, we're going to hold fast to biblical teachings about sexual practices, but we're going to use Jesus' model. How did he minister to people? He engaged and he had conversation had conversation with those in need, perhaps even when they didn't know they were in need. So I invite you to pray, because the risks are very high. The tension is very tight on this. We're presenting biblical viewpoints of, of sexuality and marriage while striving to love and to lead and to speak to the people at hand. It can't be top down, because they won't hear us, right? So it's got to be a coming alongside, helping people see God's best plan for their individual lives for family life, and we've got a lot to learn, but we don't get to sit on the sidelines any longer. I believe that others will be looking to us for guidance, because after all, we've been given much. I mean, we, we have resources, we have a strong volunteer team, we have a very talented staff, and we, we must step into, into those sorts of matters, along with one other that I want to tell you about today. See, Scripture's very plain, that if you've been given a lot of stuff, to whom much is given, much is required. And we have a lot of stuff. We really do. And when I say stuff, I mean that includes us, you and me. We have all these people that God's given us to use and who want to be used. Nobody wants to sit on their rear end and just be a pew potato. Nobody. We always say, how God, how can you use us? And so how are we going to do that? Well, many, many years ago, this congregation helped found a ministry called Disciple Heritage Fellowship. And it's a long story, 1985. It's a long winding path from its beginning to where it is today. But in a nutshell, this is the ministry of DHF. It's responsible for many congregations across the nation, both here in the U.S. and, frankly, the continent, also into, United, into Canada. It helps churches adapt to the 21st century. It assists congregations in setting vision and then implementing those changes. It, um, sometimes when there's crisis in congregations, DHF helps out, or if they're in a pastoral shift. Um, and our church has always been one of the major financial and programmatic resources for DHF. Doug Harvey, who was an elder with us for many years, was the executive director for DHF for more than a decade. But he moved to Iowa a couple years ago and went back into the pastorate. And in the years, in those two years, um, it's fair to say that DHF has kind of been spent a little time in the wilderness. Uh, Kevin Ray, a longtime DHF pastor, acted as a volunteer, part-time executive director. But it was kind of like, I'm only going to do this for a period of time. You guys have to figure it out. And so the board was prayerfully thinking, what could that ministry look like? And so 
Here's what happened. In the process, after much prayer and discussion between the board of DHF and the leadership teams of First Christian Church, in just the last few weeks, here's what's happened. DHF's resources and responsibilities have been transferred to our congregation. The staff of First Christian Church will now run that ministry. Our staff will work together to bring God's word to dozens upon dozens of churches across the continent. As a matter of fact, it's a big task. I want you to see a map of where all those churches are. There are more than 80 of them across the whole North American scene. There's uh, one of them in Canada, up in Ontario. Those churches, all of them, all of them are smaller in both attendance and resources as compared to us, but they're looking to us now to say, how are we gonna do church life? So that means, like when we do Tell Me More and we get 35 churches from the community to participate, what would it be like if one of the churches, say, in California or um, maybe in North Carolina, wherever, said, can we join you and tell me more, and can, we, can I get 10 of the congregations in my community to do it? Think about how that impact could go. So when we do tell me more, they'll be looking to us. When we ask Mitchell to help us figure out how to speak to people in the LGBT community, they'll be looking at us. When we ask... Um, when we're doing our ministries in, in the block or Parsons, there'll be people looking over their, our shoulders saying, can we learn? Can we m duplicate this? When we send teams to Kenya or Cuba, I anticipate the day will come when some of those people will go with us. And so uh, <laughs> I got to tell you, as I think about this, my response is this. I'm a little overwhelmed. I'm nervous. I'm humbled. I'm excited. And <laughs> I'm saying, God, help us. Seriously, because it means changes. It means changes to job descriptions for present staff members, including me. It means adding some staff mis uh, additional staff members. It means your volunteer help is essential. It's a different profile for our congregation. And so we're not coming at this as we're the experts, but no, um, there are matters in front of us that we don't know yet. Um, we are resourced, though. We have a tremendous congregation with great resources and great talent and a story. I mean, the story of our church of the last years warrants telling, and if we can, duplicating it. And so um, we're going to bring it into the building, if you will, and it'll be an experiment for a period of time. DHF is coming with considerable financial resources. It's not a case that we have to go and find funding for it. It's all there. It's just now our staff team, with your help, leading the charge in those congregations. So there you have it, friends. Uh, great years in the past, and there's a year in front of us that's got some challenges. Um, and I have a request from you. You know, preachers always uh, close a message, don't they, with saying, you've got to think about this, how this impacts you. I mean, that's good preaching. But before I give you the request, can I give you one last place of ministry in 2017 that should make you smile? It's a place, again, where your generosity made a difference. In your program today, you got one of these. Could you pull it out? All right. What this is about, if you're new to First Christian Church, is in 2015, we had a capital campaign that lasted uh, for more than 18 months. And the goal was to um, raise some money for a variety of different things. But we said at the very beginning, we're going to give the first 10% away. We'll give the te first 10% away to agencies within our community. And uh, frankly, we raised the money quite easily, so to speak. I mean, a million dollars is a lot of money. But you all were very generous, and we raised the money. And suddenly, we had $102,000 to give away, and it was far more difficult to give out than we thought. Because we had, as we thought about it, 
You just can't give the congregation's money away without some betting, right? So we had some criteria. There was a team that worked on this for months upon months that would this, um, we got help from outside the congregation. We had some people come and talk to us about how different agencies work. We interviewed agencies and we want to be certain that what we did um, would honor Christ, it would honor the community's needs, and that it would honor the trust that you gave us. And so towards um, October, November, we started writing checks of last year to the tune of $102,000. Very cool stuff. And they have responded, and they cut a video. All these different agencies cut a video. Will you take a look at what they had to say, please? Thank you from Parsons. Thank you from Big Brothers Big Sisters. Thank you for supporting the MAX program. Thank you Christian Church. Thank you from Growing Strong. For supporting Big Blue Backpacks and the children at Dennis Lab School. Thank Thank you. Thank you for your generous support. The girls from Prestige would like to thank you for helping us shimmer, sparkle, and shine. Thank you. From all of us at New Life Pregnancy Center, we say thank you. Thank you. Thank you, First Christian Church. It's a wonderful gesture. We really, really, truly appreciate it. And the kids will as well. Thank you very much. Thank you Thank you from Project Read. Thank you, thank you from Zadaka. Thank you. Thank you from the Child First Center. Thank you, First Christian Church from Webster Cantrell Hall. Thank you, Paul King's Orchard. So when we did Empower um, campaign starting in 2015, we said it was going to be about others, it was going to be about ministry, it was about you, and I can tell you, friends, looking at this, we managed to pull it off. Um, And I just want to say thank you again for your generosity. Thank you also for your trust in me and the staff and the leaders of our church of the past year. And in that light, here's my request for you. I invite you to pray. Please pray earnestly. I mean, we're a praying congregation, and while there are reasons to rejoice in all that God has done in us and through us throughout the past year, the days ahead are full of tremendous challenges. And um, it's been my privilege to walk through challenges with you for more than 24 years now. And you need to know I consider it a real privilege to um, serve on the leadership team of this congregation. I consider it a privilege to serve you. And I consider it a real privilege to serve Jesus Christ alongside you. So in the challenges of 2018, in that light, beloved, friends, brothers and sisters, I covet your prayers. I covet your sensitivity to the issues we face. And um, would you pray that God's graceful leadership will carry us? I'd like, now, <laughs> we had planned to do a big celebration moment up here, but that seemed, um, frankly, in light of the heaviness of some of this stuff. Yeah, there's great things that have happened, but in light of some of the difficult things that are in front of us, instead of doing a big celebration moment, we thought we should, in, if we're going to ask you to pray, we should get you to pray. So there's going to be a screen that comes up that lists the three endeavors, big endeavors of 2018. And um, where you're sitting in your seat, I'd invite you to pray for a few minutes, and then I'll lead us in prayer together.
Lord, for, um, for our ministry to the community and coming alongside other congregations for 10. Give us insight for the situations regarding um, speaking to the lives of people that are often marginalized. Give us compassion. And for the leadership of churches and individuals all across the nation, man, we need your wisdom. Thank you for where you brought us. And uh, I'm so glad you're in charge, God. Jesus. Amen. Thanks for letting me talk for a really long time today. I promise I won't pre preach this long next week. It'll be 39 minutes instead of 41. No, uh, thanks for... Uh, uh, in an effort to um, be mindful of why we're doing this, and everything we do, we want to be certain that it gives praise and honor and glory to Jesus Christ, to our God in heaven. So... It's appropriate that we read a scripture together. I invite you to read this out loud in which it really centers the background around why we do things, and that's to honor God. Would you read the word of the Lord with me, please? It's good to praise the Lord, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. For you make me glad by your deeds, Lord. How great are your works, Lord. How profound your thoughts. You, Lord, are forever exalted. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. The Lord bless you today, guys.